Hi, I'm Dan. I'm a photographer, father and husband. And this is the Booze Break Podcast. This is the show for people like me who find themselves stuck in a loop of drinking more often and in more quantity than they'd like. You're welcome to follow me on my journey to change my relationship with booze and explore ways in which to live a more productive, healthy, fulfilling and alcohol-free lifestyle. Welcome to the Booze Break Podcast. podcast is a diary of my journey taking a break from alcohol as well as looking into different ways to help sustain a break from the booze. We'll be going into the ups and downs as I circumnavigate my way through work, family life and social situations without the hooch. I'll be delving into the benefits of living booze free and tackling subjects such as uh, social pressure, health, identity and alcohol representation in the media. Just a quick warning, there's likely to be some choice language and adult themes peppered throughout this series, so if you're easily offended or have children within earshot, you've been forewarned. Full disclaimer up front, I'm not an expert in any of these fields. My opinions are purely based on my own experiences and a little research. I also want to make it clear that I do not judge anyone based on their relationship with alcohol. Do what you want, drink what you want. But if you're like me and want to change your relationship with booze, whether that be to stop completely, take a break, or just cut down, you're welcome here. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Booze Break Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. If you're currently on a break from alcohol, whether that be temporary or permanent, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out on Facebook or Instagram, both of which are at Booze Break Podcast. Or you can leave me a comment under this episode over on the website, which is boozebreakpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. So this week is the second week that I've been training at a local gym. I've been working out with the trainer three times a week and it's been so much fun. Although I have currently got that sore muscle feeling that you get when you first start training, except this time it's all over my body. My neck muscles even hurt and I can't work out why, but I guess that means it's working. So it's got to be a, a plus. I've also been incorporating a new morning routine. I set my alarm for 5.30 a.m., which is a ridiculously early time for me. If it's a training day, I head downstairs, grab some breakfast and a coffee, then head over to the gym for about 7am. And if it's not a training day, I'll do the same. I grab some breakfast and a coffee, but then get some work done. It's been great. It's so nice to be able to spend that time in the morning before my wife and daughter are, are awake to not only research potential guests for the podcast, but also work on my business. Um, doing this has enabled me to free up more time in the evening so I can spend it distraction free with my daughter, which is the aim. I would hear people say that the best time for productivity is early in the morning and I either chose not to believe them or I was just not physically able to function that early due to having a drink the previous night. So having cut out alcohol from my life, I can confirm that there was truth in those words. Mornings are a great time to get shit done. A byproduct of this new early morning routine is that I'm always awake and up before my daughter. So when it's time for her to wake up, I'm already energized and super motivated to engage and play with her. It's so much better than being woken up by her and groggily dragging myself out of bed to fetch her because when she wakes up, it's like flipping an energy switch. She's ready to get up and go. And I just couldn't manage that energy when I was drinking. 
But now I've overtaken her on the energy front and that's a very cool feeling. So my guest for today's episode is Denise Fagan. She's a holistic therapist, a mental health and development coach, and a generally lovely individual. I actually used to have sessions with Denise when I first started to make steps to address my drinking and they were so valuable. The tools that Denise gave me through these therapy sessions have stuck with me and made a big impact on how I changed my relationship with booze. In this episode, we discuss getting to the heart of the reasons why you would want to adjust your drinking and how we use these reasons to sustain a healthier lifestyle. We also touch on NLP, specifically what that is and how it can be used in therapy. I'm excited to have Denise on the show, so let's get to it. So hello, Denise, and welcome to the Booze Break Podcast. How are you today? I'm really good, Dan. Really good. We're looking forward to it. Excellent. So I'd love to start off, Denise, with a quick introduction to yourself. Can you just tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm a holistic therapist. I'm also a mental health and personal development coach, working with NLP coaching and hypnotherapy predominantly. NLP has actually cropped up a couple of times during the actual podcast. And I don't think I've ever fully kind of looked into kind of what it is. Can you explain what NLP is in general terms? Yeah, so NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's basically the way your thoughts connect with how you feel and the way you then behave. Okay, amazing. It sounds fascinating. I've had first-hand experiences with NLP with yourself, and we'll touch on to that at some stage, I'm sure. But I'd like to go straight into your drinking career, essentially. <laughs> it's a long one. <laughs> it's a good one. I like asking this question because it fascinates me. Have you got an earliest memory of drinking that you can share with us? Yeah, I would say, <laughs> I'm not proud of it. <laughs> I would say when I was 16, as soon as pretty much we'd left school, you know, we'd meet up with friends in an evening. And back then you could go to the local off license and just take a bottle and they'd give you a pint of sherry. Oh, wow. And that's my earliest memory. We used to just go get a pint of sherry and we'd just drink it out of the bottle whilst we walk around the streets with a big group of friends. I love that. Was sherry a trendy drink at that point? Because it's kind of fallen out. It's like a Christmas drink, really, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't. No, it was something like Lambrini, the cheapest kind of wine you could get. We'd, we'd go for that. But the sherry on draft was the cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think, I'm sure you can't even get sherry on draft these days, can you? Do you think? I don't think you can. I don't think you can. It was in the old off-license days. Ever since they stopped having, you know, getting 16-year-olds in off-licenses coming in with their own glasses or whatever. That's brilliant. I love that. Take your own bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it might go back that way at some stage. You never know. You never know. With recycling and stuff. Bring your own pint glass and have a pint of sherry. <laughs> Following on from that, can you talk us through kind of what your relationship was with alcohol? after that point, up until you had a conscious decision to address drinking at some stage during your life. Can you talk us through like, you know, what that was in general terms? Yeah. So growing up, obviously, we'd social drink. So we'd go to the pubs and have a drink. Very, very rarely did we drink in the house. And I think that's from stems from when um, we were growing up. So my parents would go and drink in the pubs. Very rarely, unless there was a party going on, would we drink in the house. And I would say it's only since I've met my now husband that I've ever sort of drunk in the house. I've always had booze in the house, but never thought to have a drink. 
But since I've met him, he doesn't. I've just got into that same habit. Sure. For me, it was always about going to the pub and having a drink, not so much at home. So you're more of a social drinker in that respect? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's just about getting together with friends, enjoying a nice glass of wine or a fair wine, I think. Yes. I think that's a place where a lot of people would like to be, I think, especially if they've come down a similar route as myself as becoming more of a habitual drinker, you know, less of a social drinker, more of a drinking sake almost, or as a a de-stressor, an unwinder at the end of a day, as opposed to let's go and meet up with our friends and go and have a drink. I don't think there's necessarily any healthy way to drink. I think it's a scale of healthier and less healthy and less damaging ways of drinking. But I think for a lot of people that were in my position, when I was drinking pretty much every day, large-ish amounts, probably to a doctor, it was immediately concerning, but to my friendship circles, it was kind of considered the norm. But I think for a lot of people that were in my situation, that's where they'd like to have got to. Let's just drink when we go to the pub with our friends or something like that. So I think for a lot of people, where you were is potentially something to aspire to in that respect. But am I right in saying you took some time away from alcohol at at some stage? Yeah, so I think my drinking habits changed when I um, was going through a divorce. And it was at that point where I would come home from work. Usually I would put the kettle on. And at that point, I was going through so much, you know, in life. I would open a bottle of wine and I would drink a bottle of wine every night. And I did that for quite a while. And that's, I think, when my drinking habits changed. As I say, later on, I met my current husband and he'd drink in the house. So I started to drink in the house. And what I found is I developed what I believe is an intolerance because I would have one glass of wine, uh, vodka and Coke, just one glass and it would trigger a migraine, a three-day migraine. It was horrendous. Severe pain in my head, vomiting. And I would have that for nearly three days. And the only thing I could put it down to was the alcohol. So I cut alcohol out for 12 months just to see if that was the case. And it did get so much less, so much less, because you can build up intolerances. That's really interesting because I've had a guest on the podcast recently who had a very similar situation. Um, It was almost like an allergic reaction to the alcohol. And I've heard of this a couple of times before. So she made the decision to just stop completely. And that's where she's at now. She doesn't drink at all. And it's interesting. I've never heard of it from your point of view of you. You made a decision to cut out alcohol. Was it 12 months? Am I right in saying that? Yeah. But then coming back into it, those symptoms have gone, essentially. Absolutely. Doesn't affect me in the same way at all now. It's funny how the body works, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it's amazing. During this 12-month period... What differences did you notice, like in terms of your, let's say, or we can talk in general terms of mental health and your physical well-being? Did you notice big differences? I've always worked on my mental health anyway, if I'm honest. So I didn't feel like there's anything with my mental health that changed. What I noticed was when I woke up in the morning, I felt so much clearer and brighter. I felt I got more energy. And if I'm honest, Dan, I didn't have that fear because I started to get a fear of going out with my friends because I know they'd want me to have a drink and I knew that drink would cause me pain. If we were going out, it would create this fear of being put under pressure to have a drink and I knew that one drink would trigger this reaction. So it was that social pressure that became a problem more than anything else, if I'm honest. Be a fear. They didn't quite understand 
the effect it would have. And he would say, oh, just have one. Go on, just have one. It only takes one. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm out for off. three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is it. It's interesting. It's refreshing to hear that you were already on top of your mental health, checking in with yourself during this process. And I think that's what a lot of people who are going through a booze break and taking this kind of journey on perhaps won't be as on top of their kind of mental health because they either haven't got the training, haven't got the facility, haven't got the experience within that. And what a lot of people are going to find is that these coping mechanisms of alcohol and this self-medication has to be replaced in a more healthy and kind of productive and wholesome way. And I think that's something that I think as we go through this podcast, I'm finding that more and more the topics that I'm talking about relate to mental health more than physical, which is interesting. You know, it's becoming a really, really big thing. If you think about it, Dan, it was the pain of the migraine created a fear. So it was that fear that created my why. So I needed a reason to stop that regular drinking. It was that fear. So the fear was creating that why. So why am I going to stop? Because I don't want that pain. It was a big enough reason for me to, to stop drinking alcohol altogether. That's great. You know, in life, we've got to have that big enough why. Yes. And let's face it, when you're in pain, it's a pretty good why. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but in that respect, I think for some people, that's still not enough, isn't it, you know? Absolutely. And you know as well as I do, because we've had discussions around this and you've helped me through this process a diagnosis. My liver was in a bad way. I decided to make some changes, but then kind of didn't and slipped back into it. And even this constant, I could feel my liver. I don't think a lot of people can relate to the fact that I could feel my liver being damaged and I still kind of didn't do anything. I tried to put it to the back of my head. I think different people will have different whys. And I think even health, me being a terrible health anxiety sufferer, it still wasn't enough. But I think finding that why is really crucial and kind of getting to that stage. Absolutely. And I think the why has to link to a value. Yes. For it to be strong enough. So there's got to be something in there that really creates an emotion. That why has to create an emotion. With people who drink, I've worked with people who are trying to lose weight and the threat of strokes, heart attack, diabetes, you know, cancers aren't a big enough why. They are not going to stop for those reasons because the subconscious mind will protect you and it will tell you, it's okay, it won't get you. It'll give you every excuse to continue with what you're doing because it wants you to be relaxed, it wants you to be happy, it wants you to survive. Your brain's only designed for you to survive. So your why has to link to a value, something that's going to create emotion that will fire you up to make that change. Change is hard. We're not creatures of that like change it we find it uncomfortable generally it's got to link to something that will fire you up and motivate you to make that change for sure and values are a stronger motivator i believe than goals as well i think a lot of people including myself have been in a situation where we've either been smokers or drinkers or eat too much sugar something like that and we go okay if i don't smoke cigarettes for a month let's say That's a bad analogy. So let's say I don't drink for a whole month. My reward for that is I get to do this thing at the end of the month. I get to spend some money and treat myself. And that's quite often not a good enough reason to make any real changes or decisions because it's not as important. It's not a core, like you say, it's not a value to stem over your whole identity, your personality, your actions, and 
So tapping into what your values are initially, I imagine is a really good first step, you know, maybe write them down or something like that and put those down and really think about it as well. And I know when I was first looking at my own values, I wrote them down, but they were almost like rehearsed answers, you know? I think a bit of real introspection, you know, needs to take place. And you think our oh, values is like family or health or being caring or something. And they're very easy kind of words to conjure up. But I think you can go a little deeper and, and think about things like that. You can start thinking about legacy or education progress, development, like these are all really good values as well, I think. And they're just ones that kind of I've looked out of my own kind of value list. And you can have lots of values, of course. So a really positive tip, tap into your values and potentially try and find a value that doesn't necessarily link well with alcohol. And you can kind of use that value and go, okay, if I'm drinking, if I'm damaging myself, my health, my relationships, this isn't really staying true to this core value, which I hold dear. And that's why we need to make a change. So that's really good advice. Amazing. Already straight into it, Denise. I like it. <laughs> straight into the advice. It's good stuff. You went through a stage of drinking more than you would usually. You decided that that wasn't healthy uh, through its reaction to yourself. You decided to take a break from alcohol. You noticed some physical improvements. Has your relationship with alcohol changed since then? in terms of you're no longer sort of abstaining in inverted commas, you're able to pick up a drink again. Has your relationship with alcohol changed entirely or has it kind of gone back to you know how it was before when it was a little bit more healthy? Can you talk us through that? I'd say it's changed entirely. My husband will still have a drink at night and I can sit next to him and it doesn't bother me. Okay. So I never think to have a drink. If I want a drink, I'll have a drink at the weekend. And I choose that. I think the way I've done that is because I'm a health and well-being practitioner as well, I focus my mind on what alcohol is and what it does to the body. So that helps me to abstain. Does that make sense? So yes. I focus on the negative aspect rather than the positive. And then when I have a drink at the weekend, then work on damage limitation. So I'll look at the nutrients that I'm putting into my body to get rid of the toxins that I've put in, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Can you talk us through that in a little bit more detail? Because that's a really, really interesting thing. And it's something I don't broach a great deal in the podcast at this stage, because I'm not at this stage yet. So I haven't got a lot of experience of when you because the whole point in a booze break is having a break. It's not necessarily about stopping and abstaining and never drinking again. It's about taking yourself away from a habit in a situation and coming back to it when you've got a bit of a clearer perspective. So when you do that and you decide, okay, maybe I'll put some ground rules down. Maybe I'll decide that, you know, maybe only drink in these situations or at the very least avoid these situations when it comes to drinking. But damage control is something that I've never discussed. So that's a fascinating topic. So what kind of tips can you give in terms of or what kind of processes do you put in place for yourself? Obviously, when we drink alcohol, it is toxin. It isn't, we all know, yes, it tastes great. We know it, it tastes great. It, know, it makes us feel great, but it's not great in terms of the effect it has on our organs and our cells and you know our bodies in general. So for me, the more I've studied that and understood that, when I'm determined, when I do have a drink, I will then do damage limitation, if that makes sense. So it is about always drinking plenty of water. It is always about focusing on the right food. So making sure I'm putting the nutrients in that can fight the effects of the alcohol. 
things like lymphatic drainage. So when, once we've got toxins in the body, we need to get them out some way. So your lymph system is the way that it sends toxins through the body and then we'll either sweat it through or, you know, we'll go to the toilet and we'll, we'll expel toxins that way. So it's about making sure I'm putting the right things into my body to make sure that I then get rid of the toxins after. That's great. That's really helpful. It is nutrition. It is plenty of water. Exercise is really good for your lymphatic system. Body brushing is great for your lymphatic system. So anything that's going to unburden your lymph system when you, you've burdened it with toxins is going to be a good thing to do. And that's going to be a, a bit of a revelation for, I think a lot of my listeners, you know, that whenever you have a drink and you, it doesn't matter how often you drink or when you drink, when you are through the other end, let's say the next day, you're essentially going through withdrawal. You can call it a hangover, but there's different, I think there's, again, all of this has a scale, but you start to go through withdrawal sometime in the middle of the night, usually depending on, it's usually about five hours after you've had your last drink. The alcohol stops having its sort of positive effects, inverted commas, and then you start to get the side effects, which is essentially withdrawal from your body. And most people will tackle that with a bottle of Lucozade some vitamin C maybe and uh, comfort food and uh, vegging on the sofa. But actually you can take steps to combat this in a way that's a little bit more regenerative. And I think once you start looking at your own relationship with alcohol, it's a knock-on effect to your own relationship with health, mental well-being, and things like that. So I think for a lot of people, there's almost like a just stopping alcohol sort of opens the door up to a lot of other areas of improvement and sort of mental and physical well-being such as things like yoga meditation mindfulness but also therapy and things like massage and not just treating yourself but also you know healing your body which is something that i've done through you guys and, and your practice which i can highly recommend and we've touched on this before about getting toxics out your you know your lymph system and, and all that really interesting and it blew my mind that you could combat the effects of alcohol through massage, let's say. It's really, really fascinating stuff. So, I mean, that brings us quite nicely onto our history and our relationship. I just want to take a quick break to let you guys know about my Patreon. So if you're liking the content that you're listening to uh, on the Booze Break podcast, you can actually show your support by going over to the Booze Break website, which is boozebreakpodcast.com. Right at the top there, there's a little button that says donate. You can click on there and it goes straight to my Patreon page. This is where you can actually pledge a sum per month to help support the the show and me. First of all, that's really generous and and thank you. But also you do get um, some benefits to that as well. Different tiers that you can um, go to. There's actually this legend, warrior and godlike behemoth. With the legend tier, which is just £7.50 a month, uh, you can actually get access to new episodes before they get released on their official release dates. And uh, you can cancel this at any point, of course. You're not tied into anything necessarily. With the uh, warrior tier, which is £15 a month, you get early access to the episodes, you get a, a coveted booze break sticker and access to the private Facebook group for people who are on a booze break and, and want to join a community and help support each other and with you know with positivity and hints and tips. And then you've got Godlike Behemoth, which is £30 a month. If you donate that, you're an absolute star and I can't thank you enough. With this, you get early access to episodes, you get a shout out on one of my podcasts 
you get the booze break sticker you get access to the private facebook group and you also get an epic booze break t-shirt as well so any support that you guys could give would mean a huge amount to me notoriously podcasts don't don't earn a great deal so any bit that you can give would make a huge difference and it just keeps me motivated and, and able to be producing content and taking the time out to do research and put these episodes out so i thank you back to the episode you've worked with people including myself to help them integrate healthier lifestyle choices and practices can you talk us through the ways in which you do that because it's not just massage you guys do a lot of great work so massage is a great way to encourage the lymph system to get rid of the toxins from the body but the aspect that i actually do is i work with the mind okay so using nlp coaching so again helping people to find the why and helping them to think different, helping them to break the habits, because more often than not, we get into habits when it comes to alcohol. You know, we sit down at night, it might be a certain uh, time of the evening, and we open a bottle of wine, or we get a first glass. Um, there's always a time, it's wine o'clock, we hear it's gin o'clock. And we get into these habits, so, you know, the NLP is about changing your thought processes around alcohol, changing the way you're thinking about it, changing your behaviours, in terms of and also the emotion around it so we get into the emotions around it as well and we flip that around we completely change that around and then when there's resistance to that so sometimes when we we're working with people who are trying to stop or moderate alcohol there can be resistance from your conscious mind so i use hypnotherapy hypnotherapy is a great way to tap into the subconscious mind and trick your mind into believing you're a non-drinker or you're a moderate drinker and retrain the way you actually think and look at your identity so you know if you believe and you tell yourself that i'm a big drinker your brain is going to respond to that it's going to make sure you keep drinking because you've got to be consistent with your thoughts. So NLP coaching and hypnotherapy is a great way to tap into the thought processes that create the habits around alcohol. Amazing. And I'd very quickly like to, with your help, bust a couple of myths around hypnotherapy, because it's something that we've done together. You've taken me through that process. I mean, I'd like to share my experiences of it, because I went into it slightly concerned isn't the right word, but I didn't know what to expect. And I was a bit, I was anxious about it, if I'm honest. I was completely anxious because I didn't know what it was. It's got the word hypno in it, which instantly is conjures up hypnotism and things like that. But the process, um, certainly with yourself, was very much just having a therapy session. Not that I'd experienced therapy in the past, really, not in any great detail. For a lot of it, it was a conversation and it was sort of diving deep into the layers of, you know, the stuff that we uh, yourself was centered around my drinking and the fact that I, you know, I came to you because I wanted to make a positive change and not drink as much in my life. And I don't know why, but I had this kind of concern that in hypnotherapy, you might have to chant something or I might have to be required to do something that's out of my comfort zone. But that's not the case, is it at all? Not at all. We don't need to do any of that. There needs to be no interaction if the client isn't willing or wants to interact. You don't have to do that at all. It's a fabulous, absolutely fabulous therapy and very relaxing therapy. People say, you won't get me into trance. Of course, we won't get you into trance if you don't want to go into trance. If you've got that mindset, you're not going to go into trance. But everybody goes into trance at minimum of twice a day. And it's just that state 
just as you're going to sleep, when you're feeling nice and relaxed and you're feeling comfortable and your mind started slowing down and you can just feel everything's feeling nice and easy and relaxed, you're getting into trance state. And exactly the same when you wake up. As soon as you become aware of your thoughts and you might be in your bed, you just become aware of your thoughts, but you're still feeling nice and relaxed, your mind is wide open then. Your mind is so powerful at that point. And that's at the point that we can put in the changes that you want to make. And people, there's another myth that people think it's mind control. I could not control another person's mind. It is an absolute myth. If I was to say anything or try to put anything into the mind, you know, in trance state, you would flip out a trance. You wouldn't accept it. You're always in control when you're in hypnotherapy. Always. You have control all the time. It's very relaxing. So nothing can go in. Yeah, I loved it. We had quite a few sessions and it was really helpful. And it made a big difference to my journey through making a change and taking a break from alcohol. And I think this is a really interesting point is the fact that I don't think you can come out of personally, I didn't have the experience and I don't think you can expect to have the experience of coming out of a couple of sessions of hypnotherapy and going, cool, I'm fixed. I do not drink anymore. That's it. It's not something you can rely on for that. It's a technique. It's a strategy towards a a bigger picture, but it did make a huge difference to me. And I remember coming into a session, I think there might've been two weeks or a month gap or something like that between our last session and this particular one I'm about to uh, talk about. And I remember almost from an observing point of view, kind of bouncing through the door, super happy. I'd been singing in the morning and I'd not had a drink for a reasonable amount of time, more than I was used to. And I remember your reaction because I was just so happy and energized and having fun and stuff. And and I remember thinking, actually, this has made a huge difference to myself. And it didn't stop me from drinking. Like that wasn't the point where I went, cool, I'm not going to drink anymore. And that was never really necessarily the intention with our sessions. It was about cutting down. It was about having a healthier relationship with alcohol. But what's interesting is it has had a big impact this time around. And I think it's really important for people who have made any step to make a positive change in terms of like their relationship with alcohol, their habits. If they go, let's say you you do a month and then you struggle and then you have a bit of a blip, you maybe go and have some drinks. It's not a loss. You haven't failed. You know, it's just part of the journey. And, and I think all of these steps and all of these lumps and bumps in the road all contribute to the final results, essentially. And I think it's a very long-winded way of saying it was a big part of my positive changes in my life, even if it didn't necessarily take effect that evening. Yeah. If I'm honest, that's how hypnotherapy works. So for some people, it's instant the next day. For most people, if I'm honest, and myself personally, because I, I use hypnotherapy myself, it takes a while and it's a slow progression that where, and it's so subtle, it's one day you just realize that something's changed. And that's what's great about it. You are doing the work in your own mind. I am your guide. So I guide you to that place to do the work in your mind. You just get to a place where you notice the change has happened. You don't know how it happened, but it happened. And that's amazing. When clients are at that point, it's amazing. You did brilliant, Dan. You did absolutely brilliant. I'm so proud of you. Which is a really nice thing to say because literally all I did was lie there. You know, I put. I like achieving, even if it's in a situation where I have to do almost nothing. (laughs) And you did it. It was very freeing, and just being able to put into words in a safe environment my worries and concerns and my values, and talking through all of this kind of stuff with a third party 
was a massive part of that for me. I don't think it was just about what people have in their mind as what hypnotherapy is. You're lying on a couch and someone's kind of helping you get into like a more of a trance state. It was all the stuff afterwards and before when we're discussing things, we're writing stuff down, we're picking out stuff from my past. It was all really, really beneficial. And uh, I found it a brilliant experience. And I think it's a great tool in anybody's arsenal of positive lifestyle changes, for sure. I can highly recommend it. I anyway. agree. We might have already touched on this, actually, Denise, but what do you think is the first thing that someone should address when looking to embark on a booze break? Because we've talked about our reasons why. Would you say that's the most important thing? Definitely. You've got to understand what is it that's going to drive you because it's not going to be easy. Making any sort of change in life, whether it's sugar, alcohol, drugs, whether it's uh, cigarettes, you've got to have a big enough why. So you've got to have something that links to a value to fire you up when the going gets tough with that uh, motivation. And that is where your motivation comes from, having that big enough why. Linking to a value that creates emotion. Once you've got that, you've got that to keep it going, to keep the fire going that you need to make the changes. What about for somebody who, and I think I was guilty of this at one stage, has gone through that process, they've looked and addressed their reasons why, but that's quite an easy thing to sort of slip your mind in a moment of weakness. Can you give any advice along those lines? How do you keep that kind of fresh in your mind? Do you have any kind of techniques that can help you through that process? I mean, straight away, what comes to mind is just things like writing them down. Can you go further than that, do you think? I think writing them down, I think, so for me, I have um, routines that I do throughout the day. So I do a gratitude session first thing in the morning, in the afternoon when I stop for lunch. I'll always have a look at my goals and things that I want to achieve just to keep me fired up and just to check in where I'm at uh, at the end of the day. Not necessarily relevant, but it's about, you know, what's been great about my day. So I have routines set up that enable me to keep change fired up. Well, first, I want to give a quick shout out to the good folks over at One Year No Beer. One Year No Beer have been instrumental during my booze break journey. I signed up to the 90 day challenge on there and the help that both Ruri, Andy, as well as the One Year No Beer Facebook group have given throughout this time has been so valuable. By signing up, I was given access to a ton of helpful resources as well as their amazing Facebook community with over 20,000 members. I get an email first thing every morning with a video highlighting a helpful tip or useful strategies to use throughout the day. Watching these has been such a positive way to start my morning routine and I can't thank them enough. I love One Year No Beer so much that I reached out to them recently and they kindly agreed to help support me in the podcast, which I'm so grateful for. So if you're interested in following in my footsteps and taking on either a 28-day, 90-day or 365-day challenge, you can head over to my website and on the homepage there'll be a One Year No Beer banner that you can click on and sign up for your challenge. I can highly recommend the guys at One Year No Beer and by signing up through my website you'll be helping to support the show, which would really mean a lot to me. But for now, back to the episode. And you could add this essentially into your routine and I imagine your goals and you're kind of checking in and stuff. Is this all done like on your phone or do you have it written down on paper? Do you know, Dan, I've got every device (laughs) possible, but I still go back to paper. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? There's something about writing it down, yeah. There's something about writing it down and ticking something off. And I've got these sheets with habit creations and I just love to tick, tick boxes. That just fires me up. But it is finding what works for you. My wife, Kate, is like an avid list maker. She loves creating lists and 
she really enjoys writing them down on paper. So what she'll do is she'll do a rough draft list as if we're hashing something out, hashing out some ideas, whether that to be with the business, our life, our goals, whatever. She'll write down like a draft list and I might even be allowed to scribble on there at some stage. But then she'll have <laughs> the final result. She'll have to rewrite that in her own words. Even if it's going in the same notebook, she'll rip out the previous page. I'm a little less sentimental when it comes to things like that. I like to do things in a, almost like a practical gizmo type sense. So I use OneNote, which is a Microsoft application, and it links to my phone, anywhere that I can sign into my Microsoft account. I'm literally reading the notes of this podcast on OneNote right now. And then I have basically sections of notes for like work, personal stuff. But on there, I would have my reasons why. I would check out First thing in the morning, last thing at night, I would click onto this little note section in my OneNote application and it would give me all of my reasons why and it would just kind of reaffirm the reasons why I was making these changes. And eventually these things, once you look at them enough times, you can kind of just list them off the top of your head. You know, you can be subconscious, but it's helpful even now, almost 60 days into this journey that I can just jump back into that note and have a look and go, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Forgot about my daughter. That's one of the reasons why <laughs> or something like that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it's also great to go back and go, I did that. Quite often we can set ourselves goals and challenges and all this kind of stuff at the beginning of the year. January is a great time to do all that. And the benefits of doing what you're doing and, and what I'm doing in terms of writing them down, when you go back, you'll realize that you've been working on them subconsciously. Yes. You can take stuff off that you didn't realize that you were consciously working on, if that makes sense. You've been doing them subconsciously. And it's great to go back and realize that I've done that and I've done that. And I can't remember, you know, ever focusing on it, but I actually did it. That's what I love about it. You've always got something to go back and refer to. And I think I'm right in saying the key to making anything a subconscious act is to just keep doing it consciously, just repetition. Absolutely. Even if you put your goals, your positive affirmations, your gratitude, as you've said, and these can all be related to taking a break from alcohol, put them on the fridge, put them on a phone, put them on your home screen. There's loads of apps that you can do that kind of thing with. And you can check in with those every day to the point where you don't need to anymore. You might need to pop in every month and just double check that you're still on track and you're still achieving these goals. But I think that's a really good tip. I like practical tips. It's like driving a car or tying your shoelaces. You've done it so many times. Your subconscious has got it now. It's in your subconscious mind. You don't need to think about it. You just do it. And that's exactly the same with your goals and your affirmations, all that kind of stuff. You just store it away in the subconscious mind. But initially, you just need to get your head into doing it and doing it regularly. Yes, absolutely. It's actually quite helpful to think of the brain as almost two halves, isn't it? The conscious and the subconscious. And it does make training your brain just a little bit easier to understand. I want to go full circle again back to moderation, but before we close up the episode, can you give any tips from your own experience to anybody who's looking to go back and reevaluate their relationship with alcohol and they've had a bruise break and they're ready to maybe have a go at moderating? Have you got any practical tips in terms of moderation? I think, again, it needs to link to a value. So personally, I've got a thing about being organized and having a sense of control. That creates emotion for me. Does that make sense? So for me, I link very much with I need to control this. So I'm going to give myself goals and I'll go, right, I'm not going to drink all week. Then I can have a drink at the weekend. Does that make sense? So I make Absolutely. sure that I set myself a task and then achieve it. Then I've got a sense of control that links with the values that I've got. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. I had a fantastic interview recently with Ruri, who's one of the founders of One Year No Beer, who is a, a company that I sort of initiated this break from alcohol with great guys. And there'll be an advert at some stage during this podcast for those guys. But he had an interesting sort of take on this in the fact that he's gone a similar route. He, he took, a, took a big break from alcohol. He can go back to it with fresh eyes. He now has complete control, but it's not set in stone. You know, control can slip every now and again. And that's absolutely fine. I think it's good to know that, you know, the control can slip, but you can bring it back. And that's okay. It's not a failure. That's just part of the process. But he had a really interesting way of dealing with that, where if he had put um, very strict boundaries in, so if he had two nights in a row, or two days in a row where he had a hangover, so like two nights, he would give himself an automatic 30 days off alcohol. That would be his almost like a yellow card. Okay. And then if he found himself drinking almost like subconsciously, if he, if he like had a drink and he wasn't really enjoying it and it wasn't mindful, potentially, I'm paraphrasing here and I might not be quoting him particularly well, but he would put almost like a penalty and it wouldn't be a penalty. It would be like almost like a reevaluation. And then if he got to the stage where he'd been drinking and he'd had a massive Barney with his wife and it all got a bit out of control, which was again, one of the reasons why he decided to take a break from alcohol, straight up one year ban. And ban isn't the right term, but he would straight up, okay, back to square one, year off alcohol again. Let's come back to this with fresh eyes again. So I think that's something that a lot of listeners could potentially put into practice, this kind of idea of setting yourself boundaries, setting yourself rules. And then if these get challenged or broken, put steps in place to assess that and kind of work on that in terms of, again, maybe having extended breaks from alcohol again, come back take yourself out of the situation again and reset once again i think that's really good advice it's interesting that you talked about the emotion so an an emotional drinker when you're aiming to reduce your alcohol intake and you're setting yourself these goals it's really important if you're an emotional drinker that you don't then start beating yourself up if you do yeah stop seeing it as a failure So take fail out of your language. There's no fail in my language. I don't use that word. There's only feedback. It's just feedback. So failure, when we tell ourselves we failed, it creates emotion. Therefore, the need to drink. We don't allow ourselves to feel guilty. We don't allow ourselves to feel bad. We just learn. So what did I learn from that? If we can ask ourselves, what did I learn from that? And it might be, I can't sit on the sofa at that time because I automatically want to drink. I need to break that habit. Just ask yourself the question, what did I learn? There is no failure. That takes it, like you say, failure to progression. Absolutely. You're not doing anything wrong. It's just an opportunity to learn and develop. I think that's a great way of looking at it. It's a great way to end this episode as well on, on a really positive. Thank you so much, Denise. I feel like we fired into some really interesting topics and got through them in a really practical and engaging way. And I think there's a lot of stuff that my listeners can take away from this and actually integrate into their own lives, whether they're currently on a booze break or whether they're coming out of it. So that's been really, really helpful. Where can my listeners engage with what you guys do? Where can we find you? So we're on Facebook, Red D Holistic Therapy. I've got an Instagram account, Denise Fagan, Mental Health and Personal Development. So you can find us on there or we've got a website, reddstone.uk. I will link to all of that lovely information on the show notes where my listeners can see what you guys are up to and be in contact and stay in touch. Denise, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I will see you again very soon in your practice for some form of amazing therapy. 
<laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. So thank you so much, Denise. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Dan. And a massive well done. I'm really proud of you. You've done brilliant. Thank you so much. Take care now. All right. So that was Denise Fagan, a holistic therapist and mental health and development coach. I hope you got something from this episode that you could take away. It's well documented that establishing these reasons why these core values of why alcohol might not be a good thing in your life is so important to making a real sustainable change to your habits. So if you don't have these reasons why in your mind, then you might find that yourself kind of riding this thing out on willpower and sort of pure grit and determination, which is unnecessarily difficult and more likely to end in disappointment. So if you can try and figure out those reasons why, you know, for me, it was my daughter being able to have a really, really good relationship with her and being energized and motivated to spend time with her. That was one of my core reasons why. And then to some extent, health was a big part of it. I wanted to be more productive at work. For you, it could be anything, you know, it could be a financial reason, but make sure it's part of those core values, those things that you associate with your super healthy identity. Make sure that they're aligned with that new identity that's booze-free. For now, though, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Peace!